This is a Roman amphitheater at Beth Shane in Israel. It is seating for several thousand people. It was built during the second part of the second century AD. Jerusalem had been destroyed and the Romans now had completely taken over the land. They were the masters. You may ask the question, what were the Romans doing here in the first place? What were the Romans doing in the land of Israel? They were fulfilling Bible prophecy. That's what they were doing. When you go to the old book of Daniel written 550 years before Christ in the city of Babylon and turn to chapter 11, you read the words, the robbers of your people shall establish themselves to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Israel had been almost wiped off the map. Jerusalem had been razed to the ground. And now the Romans were firmly in power. But the Bible says they would fail also. As I wander around these ruins, there is a great truth that comes into my mind. Only that which is centered in God will last for eternity. All things earthly are doomed to pass away, but the kingdom of God will endure forever and ever. My topic today is America in Bible prophecy. What does the Bible prophecy say about America's role in the future? Does the conflict in the Middle East have anything to do with America's destiny in Bible prophecy? But before I present this topic today, it is my privilege to introduce my wife, Beverly, who has for you today a very sweet talk. Would you please welcome her today? Happy Sabbath, everyone. Do you know what this contains? C's chocolates. That's right. Now, I like chocolate very much, but because my doctor tells me it's not the best food to have, I only eat it on special occasions. Now, why are you laughing? You think there's lots of special occasions, and that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, let me read you a few humorous thoughts about chocolate that someone emailed me. Now, this is not a health talk, just some humorous thoughts. All about chocolate. Chocolate is derived from cocoa beans. Beans are a vegetable. Sugar is derived from either sugar cane or sugar beets. Both are plants, which places them in the vegetable category. Thus, chocolate is a vegetable. <laughs> to go one step further, chocolate candy bars also contain milk, which the government tells us is a health food. Chocolate-covered raisins, cherries, orange slices, and strawberries all count as fruit, so eat as many as you like. <laughs> Not really. It's good to have a little humor to lighten our journey. 
Someone has said that humour is God's hand on the shoulder of a weary and worried world. He's saying, it's okay, I'm still in control. And it's good to know this as we do live in serious times. What do you think is the most common command in scripture? If you're like me, you probably will say, love one another, love your neighbor and be kind. And even though love is the center of the Christian faith, the most common command in scripture is, fear not, do not be afraid. There are 366 fear not verses in the Bible, one for every day of the year, including one for leap year. A story about overcoming fear is found in Matthew 14, where Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat, go across the lake where he would meet them. Now the disciples were quite glad to hear this because they were rather tired after feeding thousands of people with fish and bread. And so they got into the boat, but then as they were snoozing, suddenly a storm hit them. Now Jesus being God knew that he had sent them onto a stormy lake. The disciples were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. And so here the Bible teaches two very important lessons. Number one, God has a plan and his plans will be accomplished. Number two, God does allow us to be buffeted by the storms of life. The story goes, the boat is now being tossed about by the waves and then a most remarkable thing occurs. They see Jesus walking on the water. At first they're afraid, they think he's a ghost until they hear his sweet, calming voice. Fear not, for it is I. Peter, as only Peter could, speaks. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now Peter knew that if Jesus commanded him to walk on the water, he could. And it's good to remember, though the waves are high and the wind is strong, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we too can do the impossible. The Bible says, Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. Just imagine it, what a picture. But then the Bible says, Peter saw the wind and he started to sink. Have you ever had that sinking feeling? I have. And it usually comes about when we take our eyes off the Lord. He cried out, Lord, save me. And our dear Lord, ever patient with our foolishness, took him by the hand and saved him. Then Jesus said to him, what happened to your faith, Peter? Didn't you realize that the same power that allowed you to walk on the water could deal with the wind and the waves? After all, didn't I make them? Peter knew he deserved the rebuke. He also knew that Jesus was trying to teach him, trust me, Peter, all the way. The Bible says a great storm is coming. The good news is if we trust and keep walking with Jesus, we will finally arrive on that beautiful shore called 
heaven. My topic is United States of America in Bible prophecy. Is there a prophecy that describes the rise of America? And what does that prophecy say about America's role as the sole surviving superpower? We're talking about this today in the context of Iraq, North Korea, Iran, and 9-11. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to the Apocalypse, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 16. The Revelation, the 12th chapter and verse 16 for a start. Revelation 12 and verse 16. We're glad to welcome every person here today, especially our viewers on television. Revelation 12:16. the Bible says, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth, swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. This is a key passage today. The earth helped the woman. The woman in Bible prophecy is the church. And we shall discover that the earth here refers to the new world, particularly the United States of America. If you come over here to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. Revelation 13 verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. The Bible here describes a power that comes up to defend the gospel and thus is described as coming up out of the earth. But the Bible says this power in the end speaks as a dragon. We shall consider what these verses mean in this talk today. Before we have an exposition of these prophecies, I want to share with you some vital truths. This is the first great truth. God's children are found in every nation under heaven. This is tremendously important. God has, got, God has got his people wherever the name of Christ is proclaimed. Come over here to Galatians 3 and verse 26 and onwards. And you will see the significance of this verse as we go along today. Book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 and onwards. The Bible says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. The Bible says, if you have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are counted as Abraham's seed. There is no longer a holy place on this earth, only a holy people. So the Bible says, God no longer has a special nation. 
except a nation that is made up of believers in every nation under heaven. Come now to Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. Many people do not understand this. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. But today, you and I are going to understand it. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. The Bible says, Paul says, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Now look at me. The Bible teaches that once upon a time, Israel, according to the flesh, was the chosen nation. This is no longer so. The Bible tells us, Jesus said the words to those people back in his day, the kingdom shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. The Bible teaches a great change has come in God's way of viewing the world. God has his children in Russia and in Germany and in France and in the United States, in Canada, Australia, Ukraine, millions in China, in the land of literal Israel, in Palestine, in Jordan, in Egypt, in Africa, in Mexico, in Iraq, all around the world. Therefore, understand this very plainly. God no longer has a certain nation that he says, this is my nation. God's people are found in every different nation under heaven those who truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, my friend, you should rejoice in this because God is not a racist. It is not your nationality that counts at all with God. God doesn't care whether you are an American or a Russian or an Australian or a Jew or an Arab. The only thing that counts is true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. It is not a, race, a matter of race. It is not a matter of geography. It is a matter of the heart. So God is no longer talking about our holy land. We talk about Palestine and that part of the Middle East as the holy land. It is not the holy land. God today has not a holy land, but a holy people. And when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether he is an Arab or a Jew, Chinese or Russian or American. When a person truly comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes, wait for it, a spiritual Israelite. And he becomes a spiritual Jew. So nationality no longer counts. 
And here is another tremendously important truth that you and I must understand by the grace of God. Loyalty to God precedes loyalty to our country. It has been said by those who are deluded, my country right or wrong. I'm glad that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran German theologian during the Second World War did not take that viewpoint. He was possibly Germany's leading pastor, a Lutheran preacher, a great theologian. He wrote the great book on cheap grace. This man had no cheap grace in his theology or in his soul. And when his nation went wrong, he spoke out against Hitler and the Nazis. When virtually every other priest and every other bishop and every other Lutheran pastor was crawling to Hitler, he spoke out against the Holocaust. And he was rewarded by being hung after he had been tortured. First century Christians were ordered to sacrifice to Caesar as a demonstration of their loyalty as good citizens of Rome. And the Christians said, we will not sacrifice to Caesar because Jesus is Lord. And that is why they filled the Circus Maximus with thousands and thousands of Christians because they put their God before, they put their, before their country. So God comes first. And while we believe in patriotism, we believe firstly in loyalty to God. And there is something that stands above the flag. And that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, sh we should never, never forget it. Never forget the Holocaust. How multitudes of Germans watched as multitudes of Slavs and millions of Jews were battered and murdered. And they said we do it because we are Germans first of all. I am not an Australian first of all and neither should you be an American first of all. First of all, we are Christians by the grace of God. Amen. So God before government. That is not a novel idea. It helped to establish the United States of America. God before government helped to establish the United States of America. Now let me talk to you about the rise of the United States. Come to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14 and onwards in the apocalypse. The 12th chapter of the apocalypse, verse 14 and onwards. The Bible says the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert 
where she would where she would be taken care of for a time times and half a time out of the serpent's reach what is this verse talking about it is talking about the persecution of God's people by the church of the dark ages during the time of bitter papal persecution this is history verse 15 says then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman that is the church and sweep her away with the tyrant but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth the Bible says that after the time of dreadful religious persecution by the church of Rome in the dark ages the earth helped the woman and in these verses the earth refers to the new world and specifically it refers to the United States of America that helped the church America was raised up to help the woman and to defend an oppressed people pray let me give you some history of the founding of this great Republic in 1517 there was a contentious Roman Catholic priest his name was Martin Luther and he was debating with an Orthodox Catholic priest whose name was John Tetzel and the issue was salvation and more specifically the sale of indulgences and Martin Luther issued a proclamation a number of theological statements and they were nailed to the castle church door and soon they became the talk of all Germany and then the talk of the world he started the great Protestant Reformation that was based on the Bible and the Bible alone and the doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and that the soul of man must be free to worship God Amen. over there in Mary Mary England there was a rogue occupying the throne his name was King Henry the eighth he was married to the beautiful Catherine whose great sin was that she produced only a daughter and her name was Mary and who would want a daughter said Henry when perhaps you can have a son and so he divorced the beautiful Catherine and married the beautiful Anne Boleyn and the Pope did not like this divorce because the Pope being a man of course of great integrity said that this divorce is against the law of God and Henry said I am not interested in you or what you say I will have my own church and so he married the beautiful Anne Boleyn but unfortunately she too only produced a daughter but what a daughter this daughter was destined for greatness her name was Elizabeth 
But because she failed to produce a male heir, the king solved the problem by chopping off his wife's head. And then he married the beautiful Jane Seymour, who was more successful than the other two and produced a son, lucky for her. His name was Edward. And when Edward became the king, he favored the teachings of Martin Luther and Protestantism. In 1553, Mary, after the death of King Edward, became the queen, and she married Philip II of Spain, an ardent Roman Catholic. And Philip II of Spain tried to introduce Roman Catholicism and the Inquisition into Mary, Mary, England, and it did not work very well. In 1558, after the death of bloody Queen Mary, Elizabeth became the queen, Elizabeth of happy memory, and she formally established the Church of England, a Protestant church. But that church in the eyes of many people was far too corrupted by the abominations of the Church of Rome. And there were earnest clerics who said, we must purify the church. And they were called Puritans. Now there were two types of Puritans. You could have a choice. There were the moderate Puritans who tolerated the sins in the church and the union of church and state. And then there were those who were called the separatists because they wanted to separate sinners from the church and to separate church from state. Now the Queen of England would tolerate many things, but she would not tolerate these so-called fanatics. And the separatists took for themselves a unique name that every American is very proud of. The separatists took for their name the unique title the pilgrims and in 1619 they received from the throne of britain permission to settle in virginia the united states not then the united states but an american colony in 1620 they traveled from holland to southampton what were they doing in holland England had got too hot for, for them because of the religious persecution because they were dissidents and they had fled for a little while to Holland and there they received some religious liberty but not enough. And so in 1620 they traveled from Holland to Southampton and from Southampton to America and they landed on the coast of New England. And they founded a colony which was the colony of Plymouth. They came there seeking refuge from religious 
persecution. The earth helped the woman are the words of Holy Scripture. I would point out to every person here today, and you are an illustrious American audience, that America has a glorious heritage based on religious and political freedom. So I saw a beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb. And then there came the war of independence. England's unreasonable, unjust, autocratic rule caused the Americans to rise up against Mother England. And shall we say amen? amen. Their cause was just. England was a despotism. And I want to read to you from one of my books on American history, the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. And their cause was just. They were treated very, very poorly by their English cousins. Then they said these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so the United States, because her cause was just, prevailed in her war against the greatest power in the world and the greatest empire the world has ever seen, Great Britain. Now this was not all. When the Americans formed their constitution, after a little while they had a number of amendments. And the First Amendment is one of the greatest statements in the history of civilization. And I would like to read it to you. Every American ought to know this. You ought to know this. You ought to treasure these words. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Very few people in the world have the benefit of the First Amendment. No Middle Eastern country has it, none at all. Virtually no African country has it. 
They don't have it in Russia. The First Amendment says that the government must stay out of the affairs of the church. And the church must stay out of the affairs of the state. And they built there a noble wall of separation between church and state. That is the genius of the American experiment. America arose not as a dragon, but as a lamb to defend religious liberty. So every American can be proud of his heritage. I'm going back to Australia soon to do a series of talks around Sydney, hiring a helicopter, going to try to do it good. I've been reading through Robert Hughes's book, The Fatal Shore. Goodness. I, you know, we talk about the evils of slavery in this country. They were evil. But the people who were sent out to Australia by the British in the convict ships went out under conditions every bit as bad as the black slaves who came to this country. Why did they go out? And the first fleet, an 83-year-old lady went out because she stole a piece of cheese to feed her grandchildren. 160 plus thousand English and Irish people were sent out to England, sent out from England to Sydney and to Norfolk Island and some of them suffered the lash like you can't imagine. One man received a thousand lashes on his back till there was nothing left but bone. I'm proud to be an Australian because what God wrought from such a terrible beginning. And Australia arose to be one of the greatest places in the world because the gospel somehow got into the hearts of those people. It's amazing what God can do. But America, in spite of the terrible blemish of slavery, was raised up as a lamb to oppress the poor. That's why she was raised up. And every person, every American, can be proud of the history of the United States of America. It is a noble history. But there are prophecies about America's future that we are slow to talk about. I want you to notice the prophecy about the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast then that comes out of the earth. Please turn with me to Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1 and onwards. This is one sermon you won't hear on Trinity Broadcasting. Revelation 13 verse 1. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like those of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. 
One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed, followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months, 1260 days. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Revelation 13 pictures two beasts. The beast that comes from the sea and the beast that comes from the land. What is the meaning of these verses? The beast that comes from the sea. Now, as you folks know, I believe with all my heart in the sure word of Bible prophecy. And I believe that history shows us how the prophecies have been fulfilled. I quote to you from the great English scholar Grattan Ganesh on the Antichrist. Let me inquire, can anyone suggest that any other power in which all these marks or the majority of them meet? They are eight in number and definite in character. The prophecy lays its finger on the place where we may find the great enemy, Rome. And then he goes on to show how these verses refer to the church of Rome in the dark ages when she was joined to the state. It is an historical fact that during the dark ages, the church of Rome joined with the state and butchered millions, tens of millions of the saints of God. That brought about the great Protestant Reformation. That's why Martin Luther stood up for the truth. And so the first beast, the beast from the sea, and in Bible prophecy, I would have you understand, we're taught this in Revelation 17, 15, the sea represents the old world, the peoples of the earth. The Bible says, the sea represents the people. We talk about a sea of faces. But after the demise of the great church of the dark ages, this unholy coalition of church and state that persecuted the people of God. After that, in the very last days, there arises another power. And he comes up out of the earth. He doesn't come from the old world, my friends. He comes from the new world. Would you please notice Revelation 13 and 
verse 11. Revelation 13 and verse 11. Then I saw after the demise of the first beast, the church of the dark ages. Then I saw another beast, another power coming up out of the earth, not from the sea, not from the old world, but from the new world. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. After the 42 months, there comes another great power on the world scene. And glory be to God, this power does not come up as a dragon. This power comes up as a lamb, and the lamb represents the gospel. This is a power that defends the gospel, and one of your own. A modern-day prophetess wrote in the book, Great Controversy, that has been read by millions of people around the world. This book, written by an American, declares that this power that comes up out of the earth is Protestant America, the land of freedom, the land that came up to defend the poor and the oppressed of the earth. This power that arose as a reaction against the papal persecutions of the Dark Ages. Forget the past. Forget the pilgrim fathers. Forget all of this history. Only to your own peril, I tell you. This country was distinct above the modern nations because God put his hand upon America and raised her up to help the woman. The woman, of course, is the church. But I would have you, my beloved friends, read on in Holy Scripture. These verses refer to the last great superpower born in freedom. Revelation 13 and verse 11 and onwards. And Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11 and onwards. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, not out of the sea, where the nations of the old world arose. He had two horns like a lamb, symbolic of the gospel, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. Look at me. The Bible says that this power that comes up out of the earth in the last days exercises all the power of the church of the dark ages. That means complete, absolute, worldwide authority. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed greater miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak 
and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Listen carefully. Look at me. The Bible here talks about a glorious beginning. But the Bible talks here about a transition. Remember that the people whom God raised up and brought out of the land of Egypt, who were his chosen people, ended up crucifying their creator. Do not think that because we begin well, that all is going to be well with us. So here is a power that arises to defend the woman, the church, and that comes up to defend freedom, that has the first amendment, and all of these glorious statements. But the Bible talks about a transition. It talks about this power becoming the last of the superpowers in the world. I would remind you, less than 20 years ago, there were two great superpowers in the world. One is gone, and one stands alone in the ring. And that is the United States of America, the last of the superpowers. What a change we are seeing. Some of you will remember the first, Second World War. And you'll remember that America would not become involved in fighting the Nazis or coming to the defense of Great Britain because she had a policy of isolationism. And they said, let England defend herself it is an English war. What Hitler does is really of no concern to us. So America had a splendid policy of isolationism, which may have been a good policy. But then, of course, there came Pearl Harbor. But America did not want to dabble in the affairs of other nations. Her policy was live and let live. The Bible prophecy says that this power has worldwide influence, enormous power. He brings down fire from heaven and he becomes or she becomes the last great superpower before the coming of the Lord. I could not have preached this sermon 15 years ago because these verses describe the last great superpower and these verses in Revelation say that this power becomes the policeman and the enforcer of the whole wide world. The threat of terrorism, the ghastly events of 9-11, 
the threat in Iraq, whatever it may be, the threat in North Korea, and we know that they are commencing to build nuclear weapons. Also, the nuclear threat from Iran and other countries around the world and the millions of Ben Ladens who wait to be martyrs has changed dramatically America's role in the world. Suddenly, quickly, unexpectedly, dramatically, events are coming into place. The stage is being set for the final crisis which will be one of religious liberty. I've noticed that several senators have said, what a change in so short a period of time that we now have a policy of a preemptive strike. If you were to talk to your fathers about this, they would say the day will never come when America will strike first. Never, never, never. She will defend, but she will never strike first. And some senators have said there has been a complete lack of debate in Congress and the Senate among the American people concerning this change that has come about in our foreign policy. As a dear old friend of mine, George Burnside, was wont to say, the Bible told the story thousands of years ago. Now, I recognize today in today's climate, this is not the most popular sermon that will ever be preached. But I would warn you in the name of God to trust in Christ ahead of anything. And the person who cries out, I will do what my country tells me to do, irrespective, is selling his soul to receive the mark of the beast. In the last days, there will be two classes. Those who get the seal of God, who put God first, and those who get the mark of the beast, which is conformity to earthly powers. I would remind every person here that the last great issue in the world is the same as the first issue in the world. The first issue in the world was how a man worships God, Cain and Abel. The last great issue in the world is how a person worships God. The day is going to come when people will have to choose between the laws of the state and the laws of God. Now today, I'm not here because when this talk probably goes on television, the war may have started in Iraq. It appears as though it's going that way. I'm not here today to talk about the pros and the cons. I'm not here to push the Democratic line or the Republican line. I'm here to tell you that Bible prophecy is coming to pass. 
so the first great beast goes down and then another power comes up like a lamb to protect the woman. The Bible describes that power as becoming just think it through. Written 2,000 years ago, how can a person doubt God and the Bible prophecies? Written 2,000 years ago, there will be one super power standing in the ring, one left. That power will not have a policy of isolationism, but that power will become the policeman of the world and will believe that it has the authority from God to force every nation to conform to its ideology. And many commentators, including many conservatives, have said, if a man is religious and in the right, that is wonderful. But if a man is religious and in the wrong, what evil can be done? And the Bible talks in the last days of a great religious power believing it is God's people, led by God, will enforce its laws upon the world. I would say to you today that the final scenes on the stage are set. There's no doubt about it. We are living in the time when the prophecy is coming to pass. The hour is late. The coming of the Lord is near at the very door. The Lord Jesus has one final word. Would you please turn to Luke 21? Luke chapter 21. Now those who watch me on television, don't get upset over this. Just go and study your Bible and determine that by the grace of God, your loyalty is going to be first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 21, verse 32. Please notice it in the Word of God. Luke 21 and verse 32 and onwards. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. May the Lord bless the reading and the study of his word for the salvation of our souls. Amen.